Let's turn now to the Gospel of John and to chapter 16. And we're going to read at verse number 12. John chapter 16 and at verse 12, reading down to verse 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We are considering these verses in the context of looking at what Jesus has to say to his disciples because they are troubled at the news that he is going to leave them. And from chapter 13 through to the end of this chapter, he seeks to encourage them as they prepare for his departure. And we can see from the second part of uh, the reading that we have read this evening that they are confused they don't understand why he should leave them, and they are totally lost the sight of who Jesus is and why he is with them and where he is going. They are sorrowful, they are confused. And so Jesus wants to encourage them by reminding them of the fact that when he goes, he will send the Holy Spirit to them. And there are five passages where He speaks of the Holy Spirit as the helper that comes from God to come alongside them when he has left them. And in any kind of situation where we are sorrowful and where we are suffering loss, it is so good to have somebody who understands coming alongside us to be our comforter and to be our helper. And we saw in chapter 14 at verse 15, the way in which Jesus uh, tells him that the Holy Spirit was another helper of the same kind. So important that the helper that was going to come in his place would be somebody like himself. They didn't need a stranger. They didn't want a stranger. They wanted somebody who knew Jesus and somebody who knew them. Then we saw in the same chapter, verse 25, that the Holy Spirit was going to be their teacher we saw in chapter 15 and verse 26 that he was going to be with them to secure the witness of the gospel. And then in verses 6 to 11 of this chapter, we saw the way in which the presence of the Holy Spirit guaranteed the success of the gospel. So everything that they were afraid of, Jesus has covered by the very way in which he explains to them the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Tonight we come to uh, the last reference he makes to the Holy Spirit as the helper and the comforter, as the Spirit who who is guaranteeing the success of the gospel and how important that is. We think that the gospel is going to fail. We look around us and and the evidence seems to suggest that it's not working. But despite what we think and despite appearances, God is working by his spirit, building his church. And in these last verses, we want to see the Holy Spirit 
and the substance of the gospel. What does the Holy Spirit have to say? What is the content of what he has to tell the disciples and to tell ourselves this evening? First of all, we want to see that we have the idea of development. And we have the idea of development because of the limitation of the disciples at the stage that they are at. And along with that limitation, we have to say that there is the inability of Jesus himself to tell them any more. He says to them in, in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. They are in a situation where possibly they will go into information overload. And he is so concerned to comfort them and at the same time concerned to keep back from them something that would be more harmful to them than would actually do them good. And as we read down to the end of the chapter, we see that they are at that stage where they are beginning to crumble. And when the enemies come for the Lord Jesus, we see that they scatter. They have reached the point where they cannot take any more in. And because of their limitations, they turn their back on the Lord Jesus, on the Lord Jesus at the very moment, perhaps, at which he needs them most. And at the same time, a moment concerning which he spoke to them that they would all leave him. There is that sense of holding back information because of where they are at. And of course, the idea of doing that is particular to the disciples because of the stage that they found themselves at. Jesus couldn't give them any more because they couldn't handle any more. But for ourselves, we can be in a similar situation where we think of age and stage relevance in learning. We think of giving children information before they reach the appropriate stage, more harmful for them than to do them good. And sometimes in life, and regularly in life, we are in places like that. Tonight, all of us are here. We are at different levels in, in our understanding of the Word of God and of the Kingdom of God. And we have a limited capacity to receive what the Word of God is saying. And the fact that we don't understand everything does not mean that we don't understand anything. Because the very nature of the Word of God and its proclamation is such that we cannot possibly take in everything that the Word of God says. And if we sense tonight anything of our own limitations, let it not be a discouragement, but let it be an encouragement. Because as soon as we are thinking of our limitations, it shows to us that we are thinking of the subject. 
that we are thinking of what is being said, that we are thinking of what Jesus is saying. And let's, in a sense, be content with what we can grasp in the knowledge that here there is development, there is progression, there is age and stage in the kingdom of God. And Jesus, in reminding them of that, he wants to encourage them in, in their development by telling them that the situation is not going to remain like that, that there will be, in a sense, a completion of, of their education. And, and that's the encouragement that he gives to them in verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. We have a picture of unexplored territory. Place me on the edge of the Sahara Desert. Place me in an unknown region in the Alps. Place me somewhere where I've never been before. And the whole scene can be exciting, but at the same time, the whole scene will fill me of a sense of, I cannot go any further. I cannot begin to, to go anywhere near the, the massive beauty of, of the images before me and of the whole panorama of the beauty of God's creation. What do I need? I need somebody who is local to the scene. I need somebody who has experience of the territory. I need someone who knows the way into the desert, who knows the path into the mountains. I need a guide. I need somebody who is going to go before me. The children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt in the Old Testament. They were going into the promised land. And they could only do so because God promised that he himself would go before them, that he himself would be their guide. And we read in places like Exodus chapter 15 and verse 13, that he guided them in his steadfast love with the strength to take them to his holy dwelling place. It's a picture of a complete provision that the guide makes to take us from where we are to reach our destination. And that's how Jesus wants them to understand the work of the Holy Spirit here, that he is such a guide. They cannot take any more. The limitations are clear to themselves and clear to the Lord Jesus. Nevertheless, when the Spirit of truth comes, comes after his cross experience, comes after his death experience in the tomb, comes after his resurrection, when the Spirit comes to where they are, he will guide you into all the truth. He will take them into the unknown. He will take them on an exploration of what the Word of God means. But I want us to notice a distinction that perhaps is not clear in the words that we have as they are translated. 
he will guide you into all the truth. That gives me a picture of going into somewhere that I've never been before. But when I read it like this, in the way that it should be read, he will guide you in all truth. It means that the guidance and the leading is going to take place within the boundary of what Jesus has already said to them. He is not going to take them beyond that. They don't need to go beyond that. In many ways, they can forget about what's beyond that. All they need to understand is the significance of the Holy Spirit as the guide who is going to take them to discover the truth that he has spoken to them. And that is to encourage them to understand that the words that he has spoken to them is all that they need and it is what will be explained to them afterwards. And that is kind of goes against the, the whole image of going into unknown territory. What's unknown about it is that in, in their understanding. It's not unknown in the sense of it being spoken. It's going on a journey of, of education where I take the subject, the subject matter is there. The subject matter is made up of the words that Jesus has spoken. Its boundary is fixed, so the Spirit takes me through to discover all the truths that emerge from the truth that Jesus has spoken. He is himself the way and the truth and the life. I don't need any more. I don't want any more. My satisfaction is in the truth as it is in Jesus and tonight, that's where we're at together. What do you think you need in order to know the complete salvation there is in Jesus Christ? How do you think you're going to get to where you need to be to have the experience and the enjoyment of that? Here is the only way. In many ways, and in every way, you're not going to hear anything new. That's so clear. We have people and they have heard the gospel 70, 80 years hearing the same gospel and the Spirit of God comes to lead them into the truth of God. They are not learning anything new, but they are learning what the truth actually means. And as somebody has given the illustration, the past of of stones on a nice over loch. And when the sun shines and the temperature rises, the stones drop into the water. So when the Spirit of God comes, it's the knowledge that we have in intellectually that fall into our hearts and, and into our affections and into our choosing and into our willing. And from there, we are learning, we are developing. We are the children of God and we are loving the truth of God. And so they needed to hear the fact that the Spirit would guide them 
in all the truth that he had spoken. And tonight, your greatest need and my greatest need is that we would have the Spirit to be your guide in the same way. We won't get anywhere without that. We will be stunted and dark in our knowledge and in our understanding. But with the Spirit of God, there is that progression, there is that learning, there is that path of discovery, the development, how we'd love to develop together and the words that Jesus has spoken to his disciples and to ourselves. The development. Secondly, we want to think of delegation. We want to think of of passing responsibility to someone else. And every organization works like that. Otherwise, the organization would never work. Otherwise, one person would be overloaded with a sense of responsibility and be crushed under the burden of that. Delegation is so important to any organization, and it is important not only in the church as we know it here, but it is important in the very way in which God organizes the work of our salvation in his own plan and in his own invisible way. And we see that by the way in which Jesus goes on in verse number 13. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will not speak on his own authority. In other words, he is speaking on the authority of someone else. He is the messenger. And the messenger is going to say again what he has heard. It's as simple as that. What message has he got? He's got nothing more and nothing less than what he hears. Whatever he hears, he will speak. In an organization, I go from top-level management where, where decisions are made and where, where there's a table conference and from there what is said is passed down through the organization. There is good communication, so important for an effective, efficient organization. And here we have the same picture. What he hears, he will speak. And the Bible in different ways. In Psalm number 2, in Zechariah chapter 6, in various places, remind us that there is a conversation between God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How come we are here? Because we read in Genesis 1 verse 26, let us make man in our own image. There is a conversation, there is a conference to do with that. In Zechariah chapter 6, with regard to, to our salvation and the Son of God being a, a priest on his throne, God tells us that the council of peace will be between them both. There is a conversation, there is a conference to do with our salvation. It's high level. It's God's plan and God's purpose. And that is what is 
fed down, communicated, delegated to particular persons to pass into the organization. What he hears, he speaks. It begs the question, who is he listening to? If somebody comes with a message to me, who has told you that? It's an important message. I need to know who told you what you're telling me because it's important. Is it reliable? And how is Jesus going to comfort them where they are at this time? There is only one way in which Jesus is going to reassure them and to comfort them, and that is by telling them that when the Spirit of God comes, he will speak what he hears Jesus saying. So it moves us from the very idea of of delegation and conference into the situation where the Spirit is listening to the Son and goes out from there. We don't want to think of of the the hierarchy of of under-management and of top-level management, but there is a process through which the the communication comes to the disciples. It comes from the high-level conference and Jesus speaks to the Spirit of God what he is going to say to the disciples. And that makes it the very means of encouragement that he comes with his words. He has said at the very beginning, I still have many things to say to you. I'm waiting for a new opportunity to say the rest to you. And that opportunity will come when the Spirit of God comes into the world. And here is the promise to them. And what heartwarming message do we need to hear ourselves tonight that as the word of God is read, spoken, preached and as its great mystery unfolds before us, what is the heartwarming message? It is that the Spirit of God is here to speak delegated by the Lord Jesus himself to say the same truths again. And that's what Jesus is saying, to declare to you the things to come. It basically means to to say again or, or to tell you what I have told him about the things that are to come. And the things that are to come are the Holy Spirit himself coming. The things that are to come are them being born again by the Spirit of God. Of the gospel being successful because the Spirit of God makes sinners the children of God, the things that are to come. Yes, the cross is to come, the resurrection is to come, but for them, there are the things that are to come in the sense of unpacking everything that he has said. And sinners will be saved because of that. And and along with the unpacking of, of the way in which they are going to become the children of God, there is the unpacking 
through which the Spirit of God will, will repeat what Jesus said about how his disciples are going to live in the world. And that's the complete package. What do I need tonight as a child of God? What do I need tonight as a sinner who is waiting to be saved? I need two things only. The Spirit of God to bring me alive in my heart. To make me a baby in, in Christ. To give me that hunger, that desire, that life that only the Spirit of God can give to me. That's the first thing. And the second thing simply is, how am I going to live my life now, from now onwards for the rest of my time in this world? How am I going to live out what the Spirit of God has made me know as a child of God? And these things are critical for me to understand. And because they are critical for me to understand, Jesus wants the disciples to know that. And he wants you and me to know it. And I may ask tonight, if all of, of these two critical events and critical things have actually taken place, how do you know that you're born again? How do you know that you're not born again? It's simply because, and in the light of what you think of the Lord Jesus, and what you think of the Word of God, and do you have that sense of being alive for God in your own heart? The heartbeat of belonging to God as your Father and Jesus as your Saviour. Am I his or am I not? It's wrestling with that question and, and putting a marker down in the light of what God is saying, putting a marker down as to where we are. Are we in the place of the safety of the children of God or are we in the place of danger of being outside of his kingdom and objects of his wrath unless we are saved by him. And along with that there is the confirmation of the new life of the new birth is living a life, as Jesus says, those who love me keep my commandments. Here are the ones who love me those who keep my commandments. The delegation. The way in which the Spirit listens and communicates and says to us again, you must be born again. You must live the life of the children of God. You must live the life that is pleasing to God the development. And finally, there is disclosure. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will glorify me. The Spirit who comes to help them 
It's not going to bring any glory to himself. He's not here to make his name great. He is here to make the name of the Lord Jesus great. And that's how he will work with the disciples. He will glorify me. And I read the story of Jesus and I hear him praying to the Father in chapter 17. I hear him on his journey up to that point and I hear the, the Father saying concerning him, I have glorified it already and I will glorify it again. And I hear Jesus praying in chapter 17, glorify me with your own self. There is a process through which Jesus is working as the servant of God and in that process God the Father gives some glory. And tonight we think of the Lord Jesus as he speaks here and we remind ourselves of the great truth that he is at the right hand of God in glory. That God the Father has glorified him in his own presence giving him a great name and giving him the seat of government at his own right hand, the Lord Jesus is glorified in heaven at God's right hand tonight. But the Spirit of God will glorify me. In other words, the Spirit of God will do in the hearts of Disciples and sinners being saved will do in their hearts what the Father has done to the Son in heaven. And in, in the disclosure that Jesus speaks of, that's how it happens. All the glory of, of the Son of God comes to, to be present in my heart in, in my intellect, in my will, in my affections, in my emotions, I come face to face with the glory of the person of the Son of God. And that is the, the substance of the gospel. Nothing more is possible. Nothing less will do. It is all in the person of the Son of God glorified in my heart. And when he is glorified in my heart, he is glorified in my heart in all of the three steps that he took when he, was, when he came down into the world, when he died on the cross, and when he was glorified at God's right hand. And that triple way of, of looking at him, these three strands and that belong to his glory, they become alive in my heart. I see the Son of God in, in the manger in Bethlehem. And the wow factor is, is beyond the expression of my words. The wonder of the glory of the Son of God, that here he is, a child in a manger. And that as a child of God, I see the Son of glory who's, who created the worlds. I see him in the arms of his mother, the glory of the Son then I follow him to the cross at Calvary where visibly as I see with my eyes there is no sign of glory. But in actual fact, here is a place concerning which 
Jesus prays, glorify me. I have finished the work. Glorify me. On the cross at Calvary, there is that revelation of the glory of the Son of God as the Savior of sinners, as the substitute, as the one who died in my place. And from there, I understand the steps that bring him from there to the glory of God, that he is at God's right hand on the basis of his death on the cross, which satisfied the requirements of God the Father, which brought about peace and reconciliation. Because of that, he is at God's right And I cannot possibly have a mind or a heart that's filled with these three things without being captured forever by the provision of God's salvation as it is in the person of the Lord Jesus. And along with that glory and and in that glorifying me, for, says Jesus, he will take what is mine And he will declare it to you. He will take my things and repeat it, say it again to you. And the my things are quite simple and quite rich and full and profound. There are two things in the my things. And the first one is the words of Jesus. The second one is the work of Jesus. It's all I need. My life is taken over with the three strands of the glory of the Son of God. And once that takes place, I'm full of the need to hear the words of Jesus. I'm full of the need to understand the work of Jesus. My mind is captivated by this person and all that he has said, and all that he has done. And so when the Spirit of God says again the things that he has said, I want to hear that. It's a must, it's an absolute necessity for me to hear the words that the Spirit says because they come to me from the Lord Jesus. And I want to hear these words not just because they are the repetition of what Jesus said, but because these very words describe the very works of the Son of God. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. I have come so that they would have life, that they would have it in all of its fullness. I have come to die that they might live. I want to hear the words. I want to hear about the works. I want to hear why the King of Glory died on Calvary's cross. And that's my lifelong learning. I'm on this learning curve that will bring me through this world to the day of my departure from this world that will bring me into the glory of God where I will discover, in a sense, a fourth strand the visible way in which I will see Jesus in all of his glory because, as the hymn writer said, the Lamb 
is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. The substance of the gospel. All we need tonight is the Holy Spirit of God for our development, for our learning, to discover more of the truth and to come to this great disclosure of who he is and what he has done. May God bless his word to us so that that will be the case and that for all of us our focus, our life's attention and service and learning will be taken up with trying to learn more about the person that we can never learn everything about but going on the path of discovery to see more and more every day how precious he is because of what he has said and what he has done. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are thankful to you for the way in which you work. We are so dependent upon you. We can do nothing without you. You are the God who can work without us, but we cannot do anything without you. We have no life without the life you can give to us. We cannot follow you or serve you or learn without your spirit working in our hearts and lives. And we pray out of our great need of you and in the midst of all of our limitations that you will be merciful, that you will be gracious, that you will take us and lead us and bring us to discover more and more of who you are and what you have done and so find blessing for our hearts know the gift of eternal life and know what it is to have the hope of glory living in our hearts from day to day bless your word we ask for jesus sake amen